Although many of us strive to be the best dad we can be, many physicians struggle with finding balance between their life at home and their life at work. This is the Imperfect Dad MD Podcast, the show where we discuss topics involving our minds, bodies, beliefs, relationships at home, and upping our game with our business practices and financial knowledge to better improve our role as dad in the lives of those around us. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy Toffel, physician, husband, father to two boys, and self-proclaimed imperfect dad. Join me as I learn to raise my own imperfections within all these topics. Now, let's get to today's discussion. Hello and welcome to the Imperfect Dad MD Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Toffel. Happy Wednesday. If you are listening to this on day of release, you're halfway through your week. Hopefully it hasn't been as insane as mine, but I have a feeling if you're in medicine, it it has probably in most cases. Um, It's been insane for me, thanks to COVID. We have had so many kids in our office being tested for COVID. And sadly, so many of them are positive. I came to the office this morning. I had nine results in my in-basket. I had more coming in throughout the day. But out of those nine, eight of them were positive for COVID. One was positive for flu, and I had no negative tests. It only took me till later in the day for me to get two negative tests, but several more positive COVID tests came into my in-basket as the day went on. And that's basically what we're seeing right now with this Omicron variant. Things are spreading. It's very easily spread. A lot of people are getting sick with it. It's almost becoming a rarity if you haven't been sick yet. Luckily, our family has not been exposed at this point, and I'm hoping we can avoid it. I know some people are like, well, I've had my vaccine. I've had my booster. Maybe I should just get this thing and get it over with. But people are still getting sick from this. And sadly, you're seeing vaccinated people still get it. Um, Again, people sometimes don't realize that vaccines don't keep you from getting infections in terms of getting sick from them all the time. Now, some cases it does, but in this case, the, the idea is it's still trying to prevent you from getting severely sick and in the hospital. Now, you have your rare people who end up in the hospital still from vaccines, and that's a really crappy situation. I hate to say that. Um, but we still know that the majority of people getting hospitalized in the United States are the unvaccinated population still. Now, I'm talking a lot about this and seeing this a lot in my office. And so I decided, you know, I wanted to take today, I've done some COVID shows before. I try not to overdo COVID on this thing because it's not really not what it's meant for. But as a parent, I think it's important to talk about it. And recently there was an article on a news um, website or whatever. I didn't read the article. I just saw the headline because everything's headlines. And um, it basically, I can't remember the exact term of the headline, but it was basically said, Omicron um, is not as bad for kids. um, So don't worry about it. But um, CDC says you should still be careful. And it was kind of like, so you're saying Omicron is not bad for kids, but we still need to be careful of it. And it's just these conflicting viewpoints, right? It's basically like this, huh, kind of thought that you're supposed to get. And then you're supposed to click on the article and see what they say. But I knew if I clicked on it, it was just going to say the exact same thing every other article has been saying about this stuff. And in many cases, I feel like these news articles are weeks behind, if not a month behind of what's actually going on with these things. And usually it's just trying to find the buzzwords, right? Trying to find the words or the topic that people are talking about and then creating a news article for it. But it frustrates me when I keep hearing about how this isn't affecting kids, it's not as bad for them. I I recognize that adults are getting sick more commonly and having more bad outcomes compared to kids based on percentages. That is how it's supposed to be with illness. Like that's really how it's supposed to be. 
kids are not supposed to be getting sicker and dying more commonly than adults. It's just not made to be that way right now. And especially in the world that we live in with the healthcare we have and the, the healthy foods and housing and fresh water and those kind of things. And so, um, when people bring that up as an argument, you have to step back and say, no, this is still not supposed to be happening. So today I'm just going to talk about just some information on how Omicron is affecting the pediatric population in our country. And I just want to get information out there on this. And so this is not me arguing with people. This is me just giving data. Um, what I'm saying on here is factual information. So if you, if somebody wants to argue with me about this, these are just, this is just data and facts um, and my thoughts on it. So you can argue with me about my thoughts, but not about the data. So that's, that's kind of that part of it. Um, but I think it's important to talk about. So like I said, at the beginning of the show, um, positive tests are, it's crazy how much, I mean, you look at any testing sites anywhere and you look at charts and every single church is the same thing, this exponential huge jump of positive cases. And that's the same with kids. That's the same with pediatrics. You know, if you go to the American County pediatric website and you look at their, their tracking numbers and they release an article like every one to two weeks, basically kind of an update on, Hey, what's COVID doing now in kids? Um, I, I went and looked at it. Um, it was most updated up to the January 6th numbers because, um, they didn't release anything on Martin Luther King day. And when you look at those numbers, they talk about, okay, about since COVID started, about eight and a half million kids have gotten COVID in the United States, which, you know, that's a big number. Doesn't sound huge compared to what we've seen nationwide and around the world. But the one thing you have to recognize that 11% of those cases just popped up in the last two weeks. So the last two weeks up until January 6th was 11% of all the cases of COVID in kids. That's how quick this thing is spreading. And I guarantee you, so this episode is coming out on Wednesday the 19th of January. So that's what, two more weeks for when they say that? I'm sure the numbers are even higher at this point. That's a big number. And what people don't realize, I think, when you look at those numbers is that that's a, I mean, I'm going to talk about this with hospitalizations here in a minute, but the more kids getting sick from COVID, the higher chance of kids having really bad outcomes from it and the more kids who get it. But I'm, I'm going to talk about that when I get to hospitalizations and, and things. Um, when you look at the actual raw numbers of kids testing positive at the end of the week of January 6th, that week, they had 589,000 COVID cases reporting kids. And that was up from the week before of 325,000 COVID cases. So like, again, big numbers um, compared to just like what you've seen relatively. And it's just, it just, it's, I'm not surprised. I guess I shouldn't say just based on what we're seeing in the office and the positive cases, but it's concerning. And why is that? So let's talk about hospitalizations. Now, one of the hard things with the data that we collect nationwide is that every state's doing things differently. And sadly, I belong to a state who has not done a good job at keeping their statewide uh data collection up and accurate. And so when you look at the data from the American Academy of Pediatrics, they only have 25 states plus New York City represented there. Because states like Nebraska, where I work, um, basically don't give you good information and they don't give you all the data. And so it doesn't get included into this data. So I'm only really able to look at what half our country is doing when it comes to these numbers, which is frustrating because I'm not able to look on there and see how it compare our state compares to other states. But when you looked at those 24 states plus New York City, 
Relatively speaking, about 1.6% of childhood COVID cases resulted in hospitalization. Now, that's including early on. That's including all the way up through COVID. That's just not Omicron variant, but that number has gone up um, since the Omicron variant occurred. Now, some people will look at that and say 1.6. That's so small. Why are we worried about 1.6%? But let's look back at the numbers for the last two weeks. So in the last two weeks of when this data was collected, like I said, it was 589,000 to 325,000. That's that's close to a million cases. So whereas before, if you had a thousand cases of COVID in kids, 1.9% is not very big. That's what, or 1.6%, excuse me, I said 1.9. So that's what, one and a half, two kids getting hospitalized, maybe? 10 kids getting hospitalized, you, you know, you're looking at those numbers. Um, it's not a lot of kids when you're looking at that, but make it a million cases, make it a million patients. Now what's your 1.6 at? What's that 1.6%? How many kids are getting hospitalized with due to that 1.6%? And even though the percentage did not increase, the raw number did. And that's the problem because as that raw number goes up, you now have a higher number of kids having long-term complications, having possible death from this, um, and the hospital system's getting overwhelmed. And we again, we talk about this with children's hospitals too. The inpatient side is getting overwhelmed. The ICUs are getting overwhelmed. The emergency rooms, urgent cares, physician offices, all are getting overwhelmed because of these numbers. Now, I recognize that hospitals are having staffing shortages either from people leaving the hospital system, um, people getting sick, which is affecting uh, the staff that you have there, not just doctors, not just nurses, but people who clean, respiratory therapists, phlebotomists, all of those types of people. And so it's affecting everybody. But that's just even more important why we talk about Omicron because it spreads so easily and it spreads throughout our hospitals and our staff at our hospitals very easily now that when we talk about the numbers, even if we're talking about low percentages, it's still a bigger number and it's really dramatically affecting us. And so you look again at those 1.6% numbers, don't just dwell on the 1.6%. Look at that raw number and what that translates to, to real world management. Very important. Now, when you look at the complications from Omicron, you know, most kids, when they're presenting with Omicron, it tends to be more of an upper respiratory thing. They got this cough, sore throat, congestion, headaches, fatigue. I mean, every kid that I've seen with COVID looks so tired, especially those not vaccinated. Um, but even the vaccinated ones, they look tired. I mean, your body's fighting something off and it makes you feel miserable. Um, but one of the things that we are seeing with this version of COVID that we didn't see before is croup. So early COVID, if you had a kid come in with croup, you can almost guarantee parents it's not COVID. I had one case of croup in the year 2020 um, that was a COVID positive kid. Otherwise, every other croup kid I had, I never saw COVID with it. And it was very rare to see croup in COVID. Now, some people hear croup and they think croup by itself is an infection. And they don't realize croup is not the virus, but it's the results of the virus, right? It's this swelling in the upper airway that leads to this barky cough and possibly strider. Usually it's worse at nighttime, peaks around the third or fourth day. Um, so people don't think of croup being affected by various viruses, but it does. And in this case with Omicron, we are seeing high numbers of croup in kids who with COVID. And that means not just 
new symptoms for us to look for, but new complications, right? Because kids who get croup, a lot of times require steroids, many times require racemic epinephrine breathing treatments in the office, which sadly some offices still can't do because they're not allowed to do breathing treatments with a nebulizer in the office because it's considered aerosolizing, so they don't have access to that in some cases. Now, we do in our office, but if we do it, we still have to lock down the room for an hour because it's considered aerosolizing. We still have to make sure we have our N95s on if we do it because it's aerosolizing. And if you have a kid who needs racemic epinephrine in your office, you have to monitor them make sure they're okay. And sometimes they might need a second dose. And if they do need that second dose, or even if they had the first dose and they still kind of look bad, these kids are in the ER. You're sending them to the ER or you're sending them to be direct admitted to the hospital. But the problem is your hospital's full. Your ER has got a three hour wait. Your transport team's not accessible for an hour. And now what do you do? And these are the complications that you start to see from the office. Yeah, you can still monitor this kid in the office, but now they are taking up a room. And so that other people can't be seen. They're taking up a nurse because now you need a nurse to sit with them because you can't leave that patient who is a little bit more critical by themselves with their parents. You have to have somebody monitoring their vitals, recording every certain amount of time um, until they're stable, stable. But even then, the question is, is how long are they going to be stable for? Most of the time, these kids, if they're being monitored, it's four hours in the ER at a minimum. And you don't have time to do that in the office. That's not possible in the office. But in these cases, you might have to. So even just croup alone, just that extra symptom, that extra presentation of COVID in kids can have a really dramatic effect on our healthcare system and the health of our kids because these kids have to have a place to go if they get bad. You know, these kids are actually requiring steroids. Now I have situations where kids are coming in with COVID and, you know, in the past we, we wouldn't treat kids with steroids and COVID because it just didn't show any benefit. But now I have a kid coming in who has kind of a maybe slightly harsh cough and I'm like, oh, is this going to turn into a barky cough tonight or not? And so in some cases I'm giving parents a script and saying, hey, if you hear this type of cough starting tonight, go fill this and get this steroid started because um, you can't predict it. But now anytime a kid comes into the office with croup, we're all just like, COVID, COVID, that's a COVID. And it's just, it's just what it is now. Now, the other thing that is getting talked about with Omicron and kids is this post-COVID encephalitis. Now, we weren't seeing this really in previous COVID infections. You know, we had MISC and some other things, but we never saw really this encephalitis picture post-COVID. Now, this is something new. I just heard about it within a physician, um, a pediatric COVID group on Facebook that I'm in, and um, somebody brought it up. And so, and it was, it's very early on. It was basically a link for Vanderbilt. They're trying to collect case data and information. Um, but there's other people who spoke up on this, and it's, it's happened across the country. And what it is, it's kids within a couple weeks of having COVID, present with encephalitis. And if you're not familiar with encephalitis, it's inflammation of the brain. And so you're having either a direct effect from the virus attacking the brain, or it is a post-infectious kind of autoimmune situation where you're having inflammation. So that can be similar to like Really, there's a lot of different things in kids that present with a post-infectious inflammation in the brain. Um, I remember in residency, I took care of a kid who ended up having mycoplasma meningoencephalitis. Now, it was not the mycoplasma that caused the swelling. It was the autoimmune situation afterwards that caused the inflammation in the brain and in the spinal cord of the, well, the meninges um, that led to some really bad effects of this kid. But now we're seeing this encephalitis picture in some kids post-COVID. Now, again, not common. I haven't seen it yet, luckily, but I'm also not an ER inpatient ICU doctor. But with encephalitis, I mean, symptoms range anywhere from headaches, confusion, 
mental status changes, not able to walk, not able to talk, seizures, unresponsiveness, coma. It depends on how bad it gets. I do remember seeing a kid with an infection of cephalitis when I worked in the ICU as a resident, and that was a kid with the flu. Perfectly healthy kid. I think he was three or four. Collapsed in his doctor's office going in because he'd had flu-like symptoms for a few days. They were not able to fully resuscitate him there, but got him intubated, brought him to the ICU. Kid looked perfectly fine. No problems. Looked healthy. Vitals, labs, everything great. We tried to extubate the kid. Never woke up. His brain was done. It just, he never woke up. And that was flu. We see that with flu. Not commonly, but we do. But what if COVID does that? What if that's what we see with some of these encephalitis pictures? I'm saying what if because we don't know yet. This is relatively new. We don't know if it's higher in vaccinated versus unvaccinated or vice versa. We don't know what age group is higher risk for this. This is a brand new thing that a lot of people are starting to talk about. And it's a little scary because we don't know how it's going to turn out with that. How do you treat it? You know, a lot of kids who have these post-infectious inflammations of the brain, you treat it sometimes with IgG. Sometimes you'll treat it with um, high-dose steroids. There's different ways you do it. We don't know. We don't know how you do it with this. I don't even know what the presentation would be on an MRI. Where are the areas that you're seeing the encephalitis? You can pick it up on EEGs, um, but MRI, I'm not sure. And so that might influence how you treat it if it looks more like an ADEM or other these other things that you see post-infectious. And so to me, that's a scary thought because now we have a possible situation that we're not all fully prepared for. But no one's talking about that. Nobody wants to, right? Nobody's going to talk about this maybe rare phenomenon post-COVID because number one, remember, kids don't get sick, quote unquote. Um and number two, oh, it's a really small population, so it's not a big deal. That's that's what you hear a lot. And sadly, I have a hard time with that being a pediatrician because I know if that was my kid, I don't care if it's a small population. It's my kid. If it's your kid, you probably don't care that it's a small population. It's your kid. And so I'm not sitting here trying to freak people out about this, but I'm tired of hearing kids don't get sick. I'm really tired of hearing kids aren't affected by this. And you know, the way schools are going now, the way the new guidelines are on isolation and quarantining, things like that. It's, it's, it's a little confusing. It feels a little bit like, up, oh, we're just washing our hands and giving up on this thing eventually. And it's hard because there are kids who can't get vaccinated under age of five, still no vaccine for them right? We don't know when that's coming out. Probably won't. I assume it's not going to be till midsummer. And by then, who knows what's going on? We should be out of this Omicron variant peak, hopefully by then. Um, They predict that maybe in February, it's going to hit the peak and come down. I don't know what that's factual or not, but that's the prediction. But will we be dealing with something new this summer? Or is it going to be like last year where the summer seemed great, numbers were really low, things seemed back to normal, and then all of a sudden fall hit and something spiked again. Who knows? Maybe that'll happen. We don't know. But that's important is this whole encephalitis picture. It's important because when numbers are high, these rare situations can be found. But let's talk about the last thing. And this has been affecting kids ever since the start of COVID. And that's school. You know, early in COVID, kids had to do virtual learning and they were out of school for a while because of we didn't know what COVID was going to do. And they missed a lot of education. They list a lot of interaction with their peers. We saw increases in obesity, uh, more sedentary lifestyles, poorer habits, um, less physical activity, depression, anxiety, suicidality, all that stuff. And now you have a situation where kids are getting sick very frequently in a large number. So what do those kids have to do? They have to be home for at least five days. 
right? That's the new guidelines. They got to be home for five days. And then on the fifth day, if their symptoms are better on the sixth day, they can go back to school as long as they wear a mask for at least the next five days. That's, that's how the guidelines sit right now, provided they can wear a mask the whole time. But five days, that is a week of school. So we still have a significant number of kids missing school. And some of the schools are not designed right now for Zoom and virtual learning because we started the school year without wanting to do that. And because of that, nobody's really prepared, even though we did it like all last year. This year, for whatever reason, it seems like it's really hard to get it figured out. Now, some schools are doing it, and I think they're picking it up. We actually have a school system in our town here who is having to take or go virtual Mondays and Fridays because they have lost staff either due to illness or some teachers who were set to retire at the end of the year basically said, um, we don't actually have to work anymore. We're basically done. And they all signed their retirement papers because why COVID sucks and it's hard to teach in this situation. And so now we have this lack of staff because of it. So it's not just a healthcare system where teachers, people are leaving schools doing it. It's all over the place. Um, but that affects our kids, right? So now we have these kids maybe doing virtual learning two days out of the week to try to consolidate classes, which is probably the best they can do. You know, you can't fault the school system for doing this, but this is a direct issue because of where COVID is right now. You know, we have this highly spreadable variant that hopefully is less um, virulent, I guess you'd say, or dangerous to people, but it still is hurting people. We're not at the common cold variant yet like everybody wants us to be at. We're not there yet. And just like where you're seeing adults still getting sick for this, Omicron is still affecting kids. And please don't sit around and say kids don't get sick from it because they are. And this is just this is just the information I'm presenting here. This is not me, you know, yelling without facts. This is not me arguing without facts. This is what we are seeing with kids, though not everyone likes to talk about it. So just wanted to put it out there as a dad, not just as a physician that takes care of kids. But as a dad, I want to know this for my kids. You know, my kids both have their vaccines. They are not at the point yet where they can get a booster. Um, we'll see if we do a booster with them because I don't even know if boosters help with Omicron right now. That's what I'm trying to figure out based on the data. I can't even tell. Um, they think it does. It sounds like it does. Um, but is it just protecting from symptomatic cases and kids are still getting it, just not acting sick from it? That's possible. Um, is it helping prevent hospitalizations? I think it is based on data. But again, I don't I don't have enough yet. I mean, I know we have a lot of kids sick right now, but I have to go back and look at all that data because um, Omicron is still relatively new. And that's the problem is a lot of times we don't have anything until three months later. And so um, we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants with this. And so that'll be the question when it's time for our kids to get their booster. Where are we going to be at? What's the next variant? Is the variant going to be gone? I, I just don't know. And so um, if we need to get the booster, they get the booster. We'll see what happens. But um, again, this is not a trying to scare you episode. This is a here's the information that we have right now on kids that I have accessibility to that I'm giving to you. And as a parent, it's your, it's your job to make the best decision for you and your family. And I'm not telling you to go hide in your home and never come out. I'm not telling you that. But I also don't want you to think that, oh, well, you know, my kid's not vaccinated, but it's okay because kids don't get sick because that's not the case either. So you got to find a balance with everything and you got to decide what you feel comfortable with and how you feel safe. But, you know, for us, our kids have done great with school. I'm glad they were able to stay in school. Um, I'm glad schools are still open for them. They've been able to do some activities, which I'm glad we've been able to do and manage. 
Um, you know, we do Cub Scouts, but that's been hit or miss based on what the COVID cases are. Uh, but they're able to do it when we could, and that's been good for them. And we've been able to hang out with friends, friends who have, you know, similar approaches to what we have um, in regard, regards to this. So we can feel comfortable hanging out with each other. And I think that's important too. I think it's important finding those buddy families that, you know, kind of follow the same practices you do just so that there's no, you know, conflict of emotions and those kind of things. And, and hopefully it doesn't become a debate. <laughs> so, um, but that is my breakdown of Omicron in kids as of right now. So this is going to be released on January 19th. Again, most of the data I have accessible or that I have in front of me is ends on January 6th, basically. So I'm sure the numbers are even worse based on what we've been seeing in the office right now. And so don't be surprised if these numbers are much higher in terms of total cases, where are we at the two week numbers, those kind of things. But um, that's what we got based on January 6th. So if you got questions about this, you want to talk about it, you can send me an email. I'm at imperfectdadmd at gmail.com. I actually do have a blog post on this as well. That'll be up on the website. So if you want to read the typed version of this, you can go to the blog and check that out. The link for that is in the show notes. Um, and this Friday, I will have an episode. You'll notice last Friday, I didn't have an episode. There was a reason for that. I promise I didn't forget. But there's a reason. I'm going to explain that in this Friday's episode, and we'll see where it goes. So um, otherwise, I hope you and your family are safe. I hope you're staying healthy. You're halfway through the week. I hope you don't have to work this weekend and maybe you can get a break from all this. Um, if you are working this weekend, God bless you. Appreciate you. If you happen to be in one of those specialties where you're in a high-risk area and now your number of surgical cases are dropping or other things are dropping because of that and it's affecting you, I'm sorry. I wish that wasn't the case right now. I know here we've had to stop elective surgeries in a lot of cases, which I know affects the surgeons. It affects the subspecialists like ENT and those guys, um, and it affects the anesthesiologists. It affects the nurses who work in the post-surgical units. Um, it affects a lot of people, and that sucks too. And so, I mean, I wish we weren't here like we are again. I don't think we're going to get back down to a lockdown or anything like that, but Omicron's definitely hitting hard, a lot harder than a lot of this stuff. And so um, I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're staying well. Uh, remember, embrace your imperfections, not just as a parent, but as a physician, as a physician and somebody who can't completely control everything going on in the world right now with COVID and Omicron and everything else. But hopefully you can try to control your mindset a little bit. Otherwise, stay safe, stay healthy. I'll see you next week. My dad, Dr. Jeremy Toffel, is a pediatrician, father, and husband. The information provided in this podcast is not meant to be medical advice and is for your education and entertainment only.